So we're in a series called Churches That Heal. This is our last week in it. And honestly, the more we've talked about it, we're like, we could go on and on and on about this. But the, the vision is that when people walk through our doors, when you walk through the doors of this building, that this would be a place where you experience healing on the soul level and on the emotional level and on the relational level, rather than coming in and experiencing more trauma, more abuse, more pain, more suffering, uh, more brokenness, you know, and, or perpetuating what you've already been given. And uh, we were kind of working through, there's a lot of subjects we could talk about. The first week, we talked about just kind of that vision with the tree and that, that Jesus steps in. When, when the world says this tree is done, Jesus steps in and says, no, we gotta save this thing. You know, here's how we're gonna do it. We're gonna dig around in the roots, we're gonna fertilize, we're gonna prune, and we're gonna see, and we're gonna let it do what it was made to do. And that's the first, the first part of this. The second part, last week, Heidi did a great job talking about bonding. And really, you know, that's what the backspace is all about. Some of you are like, why are we still back here? I don't remember. It's really about bonding. Um, it's, it's your ability to actually see one another and, and be close together, shoulder to shoulder a little bit, so that you can meet and connect and bond with other people, other followers of Jesus, rather than being down there where we're all scattered about. So we're back here and we're learning to bond, and that's the, the, probably one of the biggest things for church to heal. It has to be a place where people not only know how to bond, but are bonding with one another, and then inviting others in, because we are healed in relationship. And then the last one that we're going to get to talk about is the flip side of bonding. And uh, the story that comes to mind to talk about this idea of boundaries, um, which is a kind of a catchphrase nowadays, so if you don't like the word boundaries, think of limits. Uh, think of some, anything else. Uh, the, the story that came to mind as we started going through this was the story of our first house. And uh, I got a picture of it. This is our first house that we bought in Marysville, Washington. Isn't it cute? And yeah, well, thank you. she says thank you because when we bought it, it was just a yellow house. And we made all the garden beds and the grass and the trees got pruned. And we loved that little house. It was absolutely brilliant. I thought it was too much. It was like 800 square feet or something, and I could never afford this. And it was this gorgeous little house, and it had a backyard and a front yard. One night, when we were sleeping, a track hoe started going through our backyard and making all kinds of ruckus and digging around. We're like, what in the world is going on? And it crushes our septic system. And, and so a few weeks later, sewage is backing up into the, into the backyard, and Heidi's like walking along and steps in a puddle, because it's the west side, right? There's always puddles. But she steps in a puddle and goes up to her knee in raw sewage. Somebody crossed our boundaries and came in our yard. And we're like, what in the world is going on? And so we're like, we call in the police and you know, all kinds of stuff. And then the guy that owned the back property, he manages to get it so that he can build land or build houses. And they send the surveyors out, and then they put up a fence 15 feet in through the middle of our backyard. We're like, what in the world is going on? So we contact him. He's like, this is my property. We're like, no, it's not. When we bought the property, the guy showed us the property markers. Here they are. I showed him where they were at. Here they are. And he's like, that is not the property marker. The property marker is over here. We get in this big fight. I mean, not a physical fist fight or anything. Well, I might have a little bit, but... Um, there might have been some shouting on the front porch one night as he came to, to get mad at us. We wound up in a lawsuit, and in the end, what happened was the guy that sold us the house was, uh, was of the belief that the property was a certain size, and it started from this corner of the sidewalk and went to the backyard. Turns out, 
We lost 15 feet of our backyard and gained 15 feet of roadway. <laughs> the boundaries got moved on us, and he crossed our boundaries, you know? So boundaries are good. You should know where your fence lines are, right? To know where your property stands. And we all have boundaries and fence lines in a lot of different ways. I mean, you might not own a home, but you have an apartment. You have the four corners of your apartment. You have a front door, and behind that door is your space, and outside that door is not. Uh, we have boundaries in our relationships, what we will do, what we won't do, what is okay, what is not okay. Boundaries are like the core of everything that happens in society, whether we think about it that way or not. Boundaries and limits help us and others to know where you begin and where I begin, and that we aren't crossed and we aren't the same thing. Uh, we, it determines what we'll put up with and what we won't, what we will feel and what we won't, what we want and what we don't want. Boundaries define everything. Boundaries define creation. Boundaries define God. Many of you probably hadn't really thought of that before, that boundaries actually define God. God has borders where he begins and ends and where we begin, and he doesn't cross that. He doesn't, you've ever heard the statement that God's a gentleman? What that means is that God's not going to force himself past your boundaries. He's waiting for you to invite him in. He's allowing you to set the tone of the relationship. Boundaries begin in the Bible in the book of Genesis. Who is surprised? Okay. Again, everything you need to know about how human beings work is in the first three to four chapters of Genesis. If you could just memorize those and think about what is happening there, you will understand human beings and yourself far better than you would ever believe possible. So in Genesis, God begins with boundaries, and he sets some boundaries. We're going to read a scripture here out of Genesis chapter 2. Should we pass those out while we're doing this, or when we wait? I don't know. She doesn't know. Okay. Genesis chapter 2. Open your Bibles there. I see many of you moving rapidly to open your Bible. Come on, I should have had the page open. Genesis chapter 2, and we are going to read the verses 8 and then 10 through 17. Verses 8, here we go. And the Lord God planted a garden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that was pleasant to the sight and good for food, and the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verse 10. A river flows out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divides and becomes four branches. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Havalah, where, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedillium and onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flows around the whole of the land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth is Euphrates. So it's kind of a weird, it's not very spiritual, right? It's like, it's just like a, it's like a map or something. And it is. I mean, there's some ancient maps we can show you here of what people thought Eden looked like. I believe it'll come up in a minute. Um, there they are. This is some different maps of what people kind of picture in their minds. But basically, God set up these rivers to provide boundaries for Eden, the place where heaven and earth meet, and where God put every good thing, including man. And then when man chose to break God's boundaries, which was to not eat from the fruit of the tree of 
good and evil, of the knowledge of good and evil, he set them outside of Eden, outside of the boundaries, and he closed up the gates, and he put an angel to protect it. God set boundaries. God put boundaries around, the, the, around Eden and the space of, of rivers. God created the whole world by setting boundaries on chaos. If you think about the beginning of it, it says, in the beginning, everything was chaos and void, and God spoke, and he said, let there be light. Suddenly, there was order given. There was light, and there was darkness. There was boundaries on light, and there was boundaries on darkness. There was boundaries put on wet and dry. He divided the waters and put earth. You can go through this whole thing, and each one of them is a boundary separating things. And then he made us. He takes clay from the earth, he forms it, and he breathes into it, and we become an individual, a human being with boundaries, our skin, our very most basic boundaries. And God boundaries our days. He says, in six days you shall work, but in the seventh you shall rest. Here's another special day. It's got a boundary around it. So boundaries and limits are essential to what it is to be a human being. And yet, it's the thing that most human beings really, really struggle with. And maybe I should pause here and speak from the eye. If you've taken one of the classes that we've had, the EHS or EHR or Rooted, we say speak from the eye. Boundaries and limits are something that I struggle with, right? I blow past them all the time. So here are some signs for you that you might struggle with boundaries, okay? If boundaries might be an issue for you. Here's, here we go. First of all, the word no is hard for you. Anybody, you can just nod, raise, you don't have to raise your hands, I guess, you, maybe you can, I don't know, you just want to acknowledge it somehow, but you struggle to say no to requests from people you care about, even though you don't want to do it. You're like, this is something I really don't want to do, but because they asked, I can't say no. How about this one? You take too much responsibility, or maybe not enough. You have this tendency to take responsibility for other people or struggle to take responsibility for your own mistakes, your own decisions, your own choices. You lack limits. You lack limits around work or exercise, food, relationships, and that those lack of limits have led to chaos. Remember, creation started with chaos and then God put limits and boundaries on it to create order. Creation is always trying to go back to chaos. We are always trying to go back to chaos by letting our boundaries go, by not keeping these things firm. So it leads to chaos, it leads to panic, it leads to anxiety or depression. Um, maybe an example would be that your schedule is, it's like you're really good at managing your schedule and you've filled it right up to the top. But you live in such a place that if one thing goes sideways, just one thing goes sideways, then suddenly the rest of that schedule is shot for the day, right? You're, you're late for the dentist, you're late for grocery shopping, you're late to pick up the kids, you're just right at that edge, and you live with a little bit of anxiety waiting for that to happen. You lack limits. If you grew up and lived in a home where you were abused physically or abused emotionally, where you've suffered the emotional or physical abuse that you could not stop or did not stop, your boundaries have been so blown out of the water by that person that hurt and abused you, the chances are you're gonna struggle with setting boundaries in your life. You believe that you have the power to make people feel. This is the last one. You say things like, I don't wanna make them feel mad. I don't want them to be angry. Or I'll do this and they'll be happy. You believe that you have the power to make people feel rather than people having responsibility for their own feelings. And so you blow past your boundaries in order to try to control and manipulate their feelings. 
Again, Genesis teaches us that the opposite of boundaries is chaos. It's chaos in our relationships, our schedules, chaos in our families, chaos in our minds, chaos in our bodies. Chaos is the opposite of peace, which is a thing that we talk about a lot here, right? We just we want peace. We don't want to be anxious people. We don't want to be angry. But we want to be people of peace. And yet, boundaries are essential to living in peace. God also gave us free will, which, is, which means that we have the ability to choose which boundaries to observe and which ones not to. God set up a boundary, and he gave us free will. He said, I don't want you to do this. And then people went and did it anyway. They had a free choice to go and do it, to blow past God's boundaries. So that is another space in which we are given the ability to set boundaries or to follow other people's. So we have to learn to master the art of setting boundaries. And what that really means is to master the art of being me without the fear of being rejected by you. Being solidly who I am, setting my boundaries and living within them without fearing that you're going to hate me, dislike me, reject me, or whatever. Some areas that you're going to need to consider, and I'm going to try to go through this fairly quickly because Heidi's got some really amazing stuff that's going to be really helpful for us. In order to master that art, we have to consider the areas of our life where we need to set boundaries. So I want you to think about these as we go. First of all is your body. This is the most basic area that God gave us boundaries around, right? What people, where it's okay to touch and where it's not okay to touch. What it's okay to do to you and what's not okay to do to you. When you've, uh, it's the most basic boundary and when it's crossed, we feel more like an object than we do like a person, right? We feel used. So how do you set appropriate boundaries around your body? Your attitudes, that's the second one. How do the attitudes and moods of other people affect you? Like how other people are feeling when they're angry, when they're sad. This is one of the areas that I've like still really struggle with. If I come into my house and there's like been an argument, the kids are fighting or whatever, or anything like that is going on, I feel it immediately. And like, because they did this, I feel and really what I'm doing is I'm blaming other people for my emotions rather than taking responsibility for them. Heidi and I were discussing this yesterday. Like, how do I even say that? I don't know yet, and I'm wrestling with it, but how do other people's attitudes impact you? Your feelings. If you have a fence around your yard, around yourself, the feelings that you have, that you experience, are on your side of the fence, not on other people's side of the fence. How are you at taking responsibility for your feelings? Do you take responsibility for the feelings of others? Behavior. This one's even harder. Do you realize that God takes responsibility for his behavior all through scripture? He, he doesn't shirk. He doesn't push it off on somebody else. He takes responsibility for his behavior. And he expects us to take responsibility for ours. That's why we have the whole book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy in there with all these rules and laws. And God's like, here's boundaries, and I want you guys to be responsible for it. And a lot of it is about justice. When somebody does this, this is the punishment. This is the boundary they crossed, and here is the consequence. We call it sin, right? We call it sin. How are you at taking responsibility for your thoughts? Because Jesus takes sin and puts it into the area of thoughts. It's not just looking at a woman or, or lusting at, or not just committing adultery, but lusting after somebody. It's in our brain. How about your actions, what you do? 
the opinions you hold and how you hold them. Politics is a great place to go, okay, am I, being, am I, am I holding my behavior okay here? Judgments, what you think of other people, and your choices. The last thing is your relationships, and Heidi's gonna speak a lot on this. But here's what I wanna leave you with as I transition to let her talk, is it's your job. Hear this, folks. It's your job to manage your life and your boundaries so that you can give access appropriately to your life to the people that God has given you to love and to serve. Because God has given specific people to you that he has not given to me. Sarah and Cody, you're right there. God has given you one another in a way that he has not given you to me. And it is your job to manage your boundaries so that you can focus on one another. And it's my job to manage mine so that I can focus on mine. Hold on to that. We're called to love everyone always, but we're not called to love them all the same, at the same amount of time, the same amount of space, in the same way. We have boundaries. So that's what boundaries are. Now, Heidi's going to take a deep dive. You mean to hand them out while you talk? Sure. Okay. Sure. So um, on a practical level, this has really helped me a lot, this little diagram, and we're going to take time and go through it together. But I wanted to say, as Christians, we have been called to love everybody. We've been called to love all people. But that doesn't mean that everybody has equal access to your core, right? We are called to love every single person. So my example of, um, I just actually did not understand this at all when we started pastoring here. I remember saying, there are this many people here. And I, I really, I'm like, I can't be best friends with this many people. I can't even be friends with this pe many people. I didn't actually have any idea at all how to pastor people and be in relationship in the different le levels. I had no idea. So if, if you were in our church and you called me, I would pick up my phone at any time when we began, any time. If you called me in crisis, I was there for you. But I left my family at the dinner table. Like you called me and my family's at the dinner table. Someone needs me, I've gotta go. So I would leave my family at the dinner table. I'm listening to you share your heart in something probably that's really hard because you're calling me and I'm resentful and I'm angry at you for not, for calling me during my dinner hour. So really that's me, right? It's not, it wasn't her fault at all. I should have not answered the phone and called her back when I was in a space to listen to her without resenting her. So when I talk about this, this is something that's not easy for me. And just to be super honest, last time I met with a therapist, he was like, have you read the boundaries book? And I was like, yeah. He goes, let's learn how to practice it. I was like, that is so humbling. Shut up. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're just like, ouch. He's like, have you read? I'm like, I've read it twice. All right, let's figure out how to actually do this. And I was like, oh, you just made me so mad. So let's start in Mark 4. This is a scripture that I think of. Um, no, it's Mark 1. I actually love this passage. And I sit with it, and it speaks to me so much. So Mark, I think it's up on the, I think Mark 1. Oh, she's got it. She's amazing. 32 through 39. I'm going to read those verses to you. I love this passage. So I'll give you the context. Jesus had just begun his ministry. So they're just starting, him and the disciples, right? They'd had one time out to, like, go and to pray for people and heal people. This is, so that evening at sunset. They brought to him all, all who were sick or possessed with demons. 
got it all. And the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. So he goes to be with the Father. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. So that means he went out by himself, and he did not tell anybody where he was going. He just went out by himself because they had to hunt for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. He answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I have come out to do. And he went throughout Galilee proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. So here is the first time he's done ministry, and right after the fact, right away, he goes to be by himself to talk to the Father. He's like, I need to connect with God. And people come to him, and they say, where are you? There are people back there that you haven't healed yet. There are people that you haven't touched yet. And he's like, well, I'm done here. I'm moving on. These are his closest people. If your closest people, if your closest people come to you and say, I think you're supposed to do this. This seems like what you ought to be doing. And you've listened to the Father, and the Father has told you something different. How hard is it for you to do that? It's really hard for me. It's really hard for me when I really feel that I'm supposed to do something and maybe a council member disagrees with me. It is actually really, really hard for me. But learning boundaries is being like, well, I have done the work. I have listened to God. I have asked other counsel, and this is what I, this is what I have to do. I have to do this. And that's me learning to do boundaries. So this little diagram thing has really helped me to, because um, I'm super visual, to put this into practice. And just because he's Jesus, I still think it was hard for him not to do what the people wanted because he was still human, right? And humans, there's something in us that wants to do what the people around us want to do. So I actually think it was not necessarily easy for him. But I want you to... If you don't have a pen, grab a pen, and um, they're right here. We can pass them around. Okay, you did it. You're amazing. You're, you guys, is they're they're printing them. So. Okay, so I want to tell you this this phrase because this was really helpful to me. Um, this may be news to you because it was to me, um, but not everyone should have equal access to you. Can you go to the core one? Start at the core. So not everyone should have equal access to your core. So we're going to walk through, and I hope this will begin to make sense to you. We're going to start with Jesus as an example and how, how he lived. So Jesus and his core, I would say, was him and the Father because he was always going to the Father. I wouldn't even say the Holy Spirit. I'd say Jesus and the Father were at this core soul together because he would go and be alone with the Father. So that's the first one. His soul spot was reserved for the Father. And I would say, as Christians, um, that is ideally where God is supposed to be, the Trinity, is in your core spot. And people will have different opinions about it. Like, they'll be like, it's the Trinity, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you. And some people will also add a spouse in that. Or if you're single, like one soul friend. And a lot of times if you're single, it'd be like a, it could be a sibling, a parent, your best friend. But it's small. It's like you and God and maybe one other human that you are that, that bonded that we talked about last week, the bonding person. So go to the next one. So this is Jesus' closest friends. This circle is small. 
Jesus is always saying Peter, James, and John. And I added his mother. I think it goes there. You can, you can debate. You can have a different opinion. Maybe you also might put, I don't know who you might put there. Maybe John the Baptist, but I think this is his four. And this would be your, so we'll start with Jesus, and then this would be your three or four. That's a small, that's a small group. And for me in that group, that would be like my sister, my parents, probably my kids, um, sometimes my kids, and my one or two best friends. Like, that's it. Like, it's really small, very small. And then go to the next one. So this is the next circle, and I would say this is Jesus' disciples. I would say Mary Magdalene, maybe, Lazarus. Oh, Jamie added, and his sisters. So you could maybe think of some stories in the Bible that you might think, but it's still not big. It's like, what, maybe 12 people? Like, those are your friends. Those are your friends. Those are the people you do things with. It could be even like aunts and uncles, like extended family. So that's, that's Jesus is there. Maybe John the Baptist in there, because that was his cousin. So next circle. These are the followers and acquaintances. So maybe the people that you hear about. Because Jesus was always traveling. It's kind of fun if you look at the Gospels. He was always traveling with the disciples and some more. And like he'll name the women, like Joanna and stuff like that. So for me... Um, that would be, oh, it could be like your coworkers. This would start to be like your coworkers, your neighbors, the neighbors that you are friends with, not the ones you don't know at all, but your neighbor, our neighbors are our friends. So our neighbors, we go to like birthday parties and our coworkers, and then it gets tricky when you're in the church, but, because then they're also your friends, it's tricky. Um, who else would be there? But like, you know, the, the peripheral. They're more than acquaintances, I would say. For me, in this level, it'd be like people who I call my friends, but they're not my close friends, but they are my friends. I care about them. And um, maybe even for me, they m might be parishioners like just that aren't my closest friends, but you're, you're there. Then the next one, that is the world. <laughs> That's the world. So for Jesus, the Pharisees, the Roman emperor, the crowds, the world. That's the world. So that's Jesus' relational. And I can see from the way he lived his life that he spent more time with Peter, James, and John. And there's stories with him with his mom, Peter, James, and John. John tells us how much he loved him. It cracks me up. John, the one whom Jesus loved. I was like, that's funny. I don't know why it makes me laugh. But okay, go to the next, the next. So, so this is yours. This is yours. And I want you to put in the core um, who's in the core for you. And it's not who, okay, so this is not where you think you ought to be necessarily. This is how it really is. And, um, or you can make how you think it ought to be and it's not. But you can put the Father, you can put the Holy Spirit and Jesus there even if you're like, I don't know if it is right now. If that's your heart, if that's your desire. You can put your closest friend, sibling, spouse. Um, I, would, I would say if you're married, I hope your spouse is, is right there. Um, and then the next circle would be, I mean, just a few people. Just a few people. Maybe a parent, parents. Just a few. Your one or two soul friends. And then we're going to just kind of work your way out. I'm going to give you time to fill it out. So the diagram helps me as you're filling in because I've realized I've put, 
I necessarily haven't put, I have, I've put people in inappropriate places. I've put people too close, too soon, sometimes, and that hurts me, and it hurts them. When we get to know each other, I um, mean, those things happen, but I, I have hurt people by putting them too close. And then it comes in and I'm like, oh, this, you're not, this is not really, so they have expectations of me, which they should if I put them close, but I was like, I don't actually have enough space for this. Does that make sense? I can't actually follow through with this. Um, so not everyone has access to your core. And sometimes this helps me because I need to remember that my core is my husband and my kids and my parents. And when I remember this, I am more uh, like, hey, you want to go out on a date? Yes. So I do a lot of time. Oh, and I kind of like realize, oh, I put the church. And then I remember, I'm going to call Emma. Oh, I haven't called my mom. Like, it helps me to remember who is the core and who gets my, because I get, I get it out of whack. I get it out of whack. See how you guys are doing on your, I'm curious. I don't want to move too fast. So this helped me, just writing them, writing them down and seeing who, who gets the loudest voice. Like who gets to um, who gets to be close to me, and then and like Jesus sets the example. He he would go to the Father to figure out what he needed to do and how he needed to move and and who he need you know where do I go next? Who do I say no to? Who do I say yes to? The next passage I'll read it to you if while you're still writing down names is Luke eight. And this is, this is a short story. This is about Jairus. It could be longer, but I'm going to read this just. So now when Jesus returned, so Luke 8, 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. So there's a crowd, like usual, for they were all waiting for him because you wanted to see him. Just then there came a man named Jairus, a leader of the synagogue. He fell at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had on, only daughter, about 12 years old, who is dying. So here's the picture. There's this huge crowd of people. And somehow Jarius pushes his way to the front, and he begs Jesus, please, would you please come heal my daughter? And Jesus says, yes, I will. But when Jesus says, yes, I will go to your house, he's saying no to the crowd. He did not heal everybody there. So when you say yes to something, you are saying no to something else. And I've been thinking to myself, what am I supposed to say yes to? And what am I supposed to say no to? So Jesus said yes to Jairus. And it does not mean that he did not love all the people around him. Because it says Jesus, when he looked at people, Jesus had compassion on the crowds. That was the phrase when Jesus would see, Jesus had compassion. So it wasn't that he didn't have compassion. It doesn't mean they didn't care, but there was something about it. He said yes to Jairus. He said, yes, I will heal. And so in saying so, he was saying no to a lot of other people. When I say yes to something, I am saying no to something else. So I actually thought about this with the Costa Rica trip before I said yes. Because saying yes to Costa Rica meant I was saying no to a week of my vacation for Christmas. And I thought about that. I am saying no to that restful week that we get as pastors after Christmas. And I was saying no to extended time with my family. 
at Christmas and with two of my kids. Because only I, I like I thought about it. Like I'm saying no to the I thought about it. I'm saying no to this and it was expensive. I am saying yes to this. So when I do that, when I think about things here now at the church, if I say yes to going out in the evening, same with you guys for something, you're saying no to what? To being at home? To being, you know, to a quiet evening. So I think about it. What am I saying yes to? Because I'm saying no to something else. I wrote here again, Jesus modeled putting the Father at his core. He would go off to solitary places to pray in the garden. And he also practiced it when he said, in the garden at the end, not my will, but thy will be done. And so for me, my core is God the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and Jamie. We are, I'm going to go back to the quote, we are called to love all people, Listen to me, but that does not mean all people have access to your core. Listen, please listen to this. <laughs> this is what I have learned and I have experienced. Sadly, sometimes people in your inner circle hurt you or they scare you. And they scare us and hurt us very seriously. And they, they are unwilling to clean up the mess they made. If that happens, we must move them out to a place of access that they can handle. Do you hear that? They did this. They're not willing to clean up it. It's my responsibility to place them where it's safe for them to be until they can move in. So we have a book out there by Danny Silk called Keep Your Love On. And he uses an example of his brother. So his brother, I, I read the book, so I'll try it, but his brother became an alcoholic, and he caused great harm and hurt to their family. Like, he came in and just was terrible and broke that relationship. And he said, he is my brother, but he is not willing to do the things to make himself safe. And so my brother is out there at the very outer core. And until my brother is willing to do some work and get some help, he will not have dinner at my house. He does not have access to my home and my children and my space. That's, that's very hard. Um, I remember growing up, my aunts were both, both addicted to alcohol and drugs. And they came and they one of them stole our piggy bank. We're kids, right? It's there. It's gone. 100 bucks, gone. And so next time when my aunt came, we hid all of our money. I mean, that's just, it's my responsibility. My parents said, let's hide all the money. Let's not have that. You know, and there were times, it's sad, but I mean, it's, it's funny now, but I was so mad and my parents didn't reimburse me. Anyways, <laughs> they should have. No, they've reimbursed me over and over again. I'm fine. Um, but I want you to hear this, like they made those choices and that what they can handle. Um, some people who won't once held the most intimate place in our lives might find themselves out with the Hamas sphere because that's what they have, that's what they've chosen. We keep our love on, this is from Danny Silk, we keep our love on towards them, but it may be a very long time before we have them over for dinner. A very long time. When I was working on this message, it reminded me of the pigs and pearls message that I think I did in the spring. And it's, it's another example from scripture of boundaries. God calls us, Jesus called us pearls. 
You are a pearl of great price. You are a pearl. Don't throw yourself to the pigs. Don't let people trample you. If someone is going to be cruel and unkind and do it over and over, or just over, you're done. I'm reading Dave, Dave Brooks' book on um, connecting to people, like getting close to people. And he says, if they treat me that way once, fine, treat me that way twice, we're done. And that's just like new to me. That's like, what? Um, I, I really did think that as Christians, um, we were supposed to let people walk all over us. Like we were supposed to let them like into our space and into our whatever. And the first time I ever heard something different that I was like, you just blew my brain and I don't even know what to do with this was in premarital counseling. So there was a gal who we were friends with who wanted to marry Jamie and then I married Jamie and then she turned a little bit on us. And I thought, how am I going to make this work? How am I going to, how are we going to, and the counselors are like, you're done. That's not good for you guys. You're done with that friend. I was like, that is not being a Christian. We have to figure this out. And they're like, no, you are newlyweds. You're getting married. She still wants to marry Jamie. You're done. And I was like, I don't even understand what you're saying. How am I going to love her? How am I going to, does that make sense? Like, this isn't something I have naturally known how to do. And so they helped me. And I was like, these wise people who are so old, they're probably in their late 40s, are telling me. <laughs> that I should not be the, her friend anymore, and it blew my brain. Um, so I pose to you, you are a pearl. Don't let people trample you. I am a pearl. I have let people trample me. Um, that's, that's also on boundaries. I want you to hear that. I have come to a place where there are certain things that I cannot be treated that way anymore. I hope there's ways that you've come to, you're like, I cannot be treated that way anymore. I will not. I mean, Jamie, I'm, I'm a little strong sometimes. You might know that about me. But I, and it's not him, but I'll be like, I will not be treated that way anymore. I cannot. And I hope there's ways in you that say, I cannot, I will not be treated that way anymore because I am precious to God. He cares about me, and it would be hurting something that he loves. I did not know how to say yes or no, and I let other people guide me and make decisions for me. I let this church for a long time guide my life and my calendar, and you didn't even know it because I didn't have any boundaries. And then I'd be like so mad at you all for different times, like, they're just eating my life away. Don't they know? It was not your fault at all. It was me being super immature. I don't, I, I can say that. So Jamie and I, when we were talking, we realized Sabbath. Sabbath is all about boundaries. It's about saying, I will not do this today, and it's, if you you have to learn some basic boundaries or you will never be able to take a Sabbath because you have to say, this is what I will do today. This is what I will not do today. I will rest today. You have to be in charge of your own schedule. So it's only possible, I was thinking about, we were talking about if you have some boundaries. It's taken us a lot of work to learn these boundaries, um, as you can tell, because it's not easy for me. Um, but I encourage you to think about it. If you've been like, I can't take a Sabbath. So what a Sabbath is, is it's a 24-hour period. It can be less. But it's a time to rest. It's a time to cease working and let God be God and realize I'm not that important. Well, the world goes on without me. And just to enjoy my family, enjoy my core, enjoy the core, the Trinity, my children. I could often like to call my parents uh, and just to be able to listen to them. I wanted to tell you about a cool story I heard from someone in the church, and I asked, and she said I can share. And there's a f the den herders have been working and learning to practice Sabbath, and they've been practicing it and working on it. And Carrie's like, came up with this brilliant idea, 
And I was like, I love it. And um, on her phone, she has set limits. She's helped me with my phone before, so if you need help, I'm like, can you do this to my phone, please? She's amazing. Um, but she only receives calls from the last name Den Herder on her Sabbath and a few other people. I was tempted to ask, but I didn't ask if I was on the list, and it's okay, because I didn't want to know. It's also an invitation to call her and find out <laughs> if you're on the list. Right? <laughs> but she said if your last name isn't Dennerherder and like one or two other people, then she's not going to get your call. And I was like, that is brilliant. And actually, in the book Keep Your Love On, he says the same thing. If your last name isn't Silk or my daughter-in-law's last name, I will not get your call. Like, I will not. And I was like, that is, that's a boundary. It's beautiful, and it's saying, this is, this is who I have space for. Carrie is called to be a mom. Carrie's called to be a wife. She's called to be a friend, um, teacher. She's called to be a teacher, and that's a lot of work. And so she takes the Sabbath so that she can do what she's called to do, which is to try her best to love people <laughs> in her spheres. And I wanted to share that with you because I think it's, um, it's practical, and it's an example of someone trying to learn to love people well so so to reiterate it is your job it's nobody else's job this your job to manage the circles to manage where people are in the circles to how much access you're going to give people to what your emotions will do with people um, it is nobody else's job to set these boundaries um, and it's your job because god has called you to love certain people your spouse, your children, your friends, your neighbors, and to love them in a certain way, and it's to give people appropriate access to your life. If I give my, if I was to, can I, we put up the, the, the circles, the, the big, just the, the last one with all of them. You know, some of us get so into the news, and like, right, today is Super Bowl Sunday, and who's the winning team gonna be? It's Taylor Swift, right? And you can get so into Taylor Swift and you can be emotional about this relationship that you have never met and never known anybody. And you're giving inappropriate access to your emotional life, your spiritual life, to somebody that's way the heck out there that you may never, ever meet. And equally with Hamas, right? Or, or you know, whatever terrorist organization really freaks you out. We can get all anxious about them, but they're way out there. And that mental space and emotional space that we give, those things that are not in our core take from the people that are right there next to us, that God has given us. So it's important to set those boundaries. <clears throat> Excuse me, not everyone has access to my core. Heidi kind of shared when we first came, anybody could call. Well, I thought everybody was supposed to be my friends. And the first Sunday, somebody came to me angry about a sermon, and I thought they were my close friend. It cut me to the soul especially when they said, I'm not even sure you're a Christian. I mean, that's how harsh, and imagine, like, somebody that, this person should have been out with Hamas, okay? Should have been out with Hamas. I'm serious. He was combative, he was angry, and he didn't like me from the get-go. But I gave him core access, and it cut me to the soul, and it, it cut the legs out from under me for, for a good, long, long time. But now I'm learning to set boundaries, so... I don't set my boundaries to please you, and I don't set my boundaries to offend you, okay? So if you're like, oh, where am I in his circle group? Don't, don't be offended if you find yourself, you know, well, not, you're not gonna be out with Hamas no, no. or Vladimir Putin, but you know, in a little ways. <laughs> don't be offended, I'm not out to offend you. I'm out to live out my calling, 
and to love my wife and my children and my friends and my neighbors, so on and so forth. We have two questions for you to close with. I hope, because this is, sometimes this like feels like a sermon. Sometimes it feels like a teaching. This kind of felt like a preaching, sermoning. <laughs> it's like somewhere in between. <coughs> Excuse me. But we want to ask you a couple of questions, just give you a moment to really ponder them. And the first one is this. Are you giving the appropriate amount of love, time, attention, and energy to the people in your closest circles? Notice the word appropriate. What is appropriate to the circles that are closest to you? Just think about that for a minute. Are you giving the right amount of time, energy, love, attention to those people? And then the last one, looking at your circles, is God in the right place in your life? Does God have the rightful place in your life, the right soul spot? Let's let's close. Can we can we pray for people for a minute? I think you ought to. I think you ought to. Yeah, I was thinking about it, and I, I was thinking about how how difficult it is to keep God in that core spot sometimes, because other voices want to shoehorn him out, and sometimes my desire to please people means I prioritize somebody out in the third ring before I prioritize God. And I know that we go to the university here, and so we work at the university, and we work you know, in different cir circles around here. And what I've said about this university is it believes it's God, <laughs> and it wants to be in that core spot. It wants the time of the core spot, and it is hard to keep God there. So I want to pray for you. And uh, the, the, the thought that came to my mind was the old school, you know, pray with me this prayer sort of thing. I'm not going to make you repeat after me. But if that's you and you're in that spot and you're like, yeah, I really am struggling, would you just kind of pray this prayer in your heart with me as I pray it over you? So, Father, please forgive me for the times and, and even now in the ways that I have not kept you in the core of my life. Forgive me for the ways that I have pushed you aside to make space for people that don't belong there. Thank you for making space in your spot, your soul spot, in the core of who you are for me and for loving me enough to invite me in and to have access with you. Help me, Father, to prioritize you, to prioritize my life with you, to live with you at the center so that I can love others well. God, help me to set appropriate boundaries around myself and my life, around my work, around my relationships, around my thoughts, around my behaviors, so that I can walk in a way that gives love and energy and time to the people that you've given me. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just come upon each one of us in this place and help us to love you well and to love the others around us well. In your name, amen. You like to sing, me too, but should we close with a song? Mm-hmm. You gonna make Kelly do it again? <laughs> that was quite lovely. <laughs> I liked her key. Let's stand together. <laughs> it was easier for me <coughs> to sing along. <laughs> and Heidi wants Kelly to start us to sing the doxology, so. Kelly, would you please start us? Yes. There you go. I love your sweater shirt combo. Amen. Go in God's grace. Jesus loves you and invites you into the core. And we love you too, but maybe not in the same place. See you next week.